Beloved congregation of the Lord, the news has been full, of course, in these weeks of the death of Queen Elizabeth and the coronation of King George. And people are asking all kinds of questions. Will he do things differently than his mother? His mother expressed faith in Christ and her funeral message was full to a remarkable degree of the gospel. But her son has made it clear that he thinks all faiths are worth defending and no faith is worth promoting. That no faith can claim to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that illustrates for us the challenges of being a gospel minister ordained in the year 2022. Being a gospel minister is challenging and takes everything you have, humanly speaking, at any time. But it is getting harder in our secularized culture, which is becoming viciously intolerant in its tolerance. No wonder Paul calls the ministry being a soldier at war. And who would begin such a life unless God himself calls you to it and unless God himself equips you for it? And this verse of our text gives us both these things, the need for this calling, the weakness in this calling, in the person called, and then the fullness of the provision of God. This tells you what you may expect from your pastor through the Lord. And it tells your pastor what he may expect from the Lord for you. Our theme is God's call to Timothy to be strong in Christ. There are two points, the weakness behind this call and then the provision in this call. So the weakness behind this call and then the provision in this call. If you read all of 2 Timothy in one setting, then it has to hit you how overwhelming all the things that the Apostle Paul is going through are. They are enough to make anybody feel weak and insufficient. And no wonder Paul cries elsewhere, who is sufficient for these things, to be the fragrance of Christ, either to life or to death, in a world stirred up by the evil one. No wonder someone contemplating taking up this work feels weak and should feel weak and insufficient and needs the strengthening of the Lord. And these troubles in 2 Timothy have faced the church in all times and places to some degree. First, Paul is suffering for the sake of the gospel. According to Voice of the Martyrs, in this last year, 60% more Christians have been killed worldwide for the gospel's sake than in the year before. There is a rising tide of hostility around the world against the Lord and against His Christ. Even in Canada, people increasingly despise gospel ministers. I've had people follow me around in the store after I told them I was a pastor and kept on saying to me, people like you are the cause of all the trouble in the world. People like you are the cause of all the trouble in the world. 
One wonders how soon fines and imprisonments for gospel ministers could follow. And that wouldn't be new because the apostle writes these things in prison. This may well be the final letter of his life, or one of them, at least the last one in the Scriptures. And he knows he will not be set free. He knows at the end of the book the time of his departure is at hand, chapter 4, verse 6, and church tradition says he was beheaded. His first hearing, presumably before the cruel Nero, a Putin-like figure, was so intimidating that he describes it himself at the end of the book as being in the jaws of the lion. Just imagine being pounced on by a 200-pound mountain lion in the foothills here and being dragged away. That is how Paul felt in himself, humanly speaking. Yes, even apostles felt that way. And secondly, the commitment required in a minister of the gospel must be total. In chapter 2, after our text, the apostle will refer to several examples. The pastor is like a soldier who gives up the privileges and rights of civilian life to please the one who enlisted him. He speaks of a pastor as a farmer who works hard, and many of you are farmers. You know that when it's planting season and reaping season, you don't work 40-hour work weeks. You work more. He speaks of being an athlete who competes according to the rules. The best and most successful athletes in this world are all in. They won't eat, I've read of the best of them, not even eating a single Snickers bar during the season. Not one calorie that might hurt or weaken their bodies is permitted. Total devotion. The apostle calls it running the race in chapter 4. He calls it fighting the fight. When you add up all these things, this is overwhelming to somebody who knows himself to be weak. And third, there are grave troubles within the church itself. The pattern of sound words and sound doctrines was already being rejected in the church while Paul was alive. He mentions in chapter 1 many people in Asia turning away from him, and he mentions by name Phygelus and Hermogenes. In chapter 2, Hymenaeus and Philetus are spreading doctrines that are like spiritual cancer. No one hears, you have cancer, and says, great or even, no big deal. It is the dreaded C word that nobody wants to hear. And in chapter 3, Paul sees seducers and deceivers who don't want to cling to God's word, who have a form of godliness that denies its power. And when churches in Canada have statements of faith that include sentences like, there's no such thing as sin and always lead to God, that is empty and powerless in the most extreme form. But the danger also always is a dead orthodoxy that's conservative and correct on the outside and multiplies rules without the knowledge of the grace and power of God experienced and transforming the hearts of those who profess them. And at times it seems every month brings news of some well-regarded pastor or church caving in on sound doctrine or a scandal of unholy living. 
In chapter 4, Demas, Paul's co-missionary, has returned to the world and rejected Christ. And you can name the well-known figures in our times who have done this too. People are abandoning the gospel for the sake of sexual identity politics to curry favor with the world. And unless the Lord sends reformation and revival from underneath, from the earth, we can look around and ask, are faithful churches going to go extinct or become an endangered species in Canada? Chapter 4 says people in pews can develop itching ears. That means don't tell us anything we don't want to hear. In our culture, that means just be positive, just be encouraging, just, just be cheerful, just make us smile. Don't tell us we need to be born again. Don't mention hell. Don't deal with sin. Don't call for holiness. Don't stress repentance. Don't get practical about godliness, Pastor. We just want to hear about victory in Jesus. That's all we need, right? Just tell us God loves us and more we don't need to know. Paul even mentions great disappointments in real believers in church. His first trial before Nero, he was in the mouth of the lion and no one was publicly willing to support him. He says, no one stood by me. There are times when being a pastor feels incredibly lonely. There you stand before God. For there you are on your knees in your study, wrestling before God for the spiritual life and growth and well-being of the church. No wonder a Timothy had to combat a spirit of fear, chapter 1, verse 7, and the temptation to be ashamed of the Lord's prisoner, in verse 8. And fourth, you can add to this the weakness of the gospel minister himself. You know, some church members have the strangest idea that ministers are super saints above the common struggle. And they almost seem startled that we pastors, too, struggle with sinful character faults and ruts in our own life. We desperately need the same gospel we preach to you every Sunday. We, too, face challenges raising our children. We, too, can struggle in our marriages. And Timothy was particularly susceptible to a gloomy, negative view of things, seeing the glass half empty, a spirit of fear and shame, and it's understandable given everything that the Apostle Paul has described. And when you add all of these things in the church and in the world and in the minister together, then... This is weakness that God alone can overcome. And therefore, congregation, pray for your pastor. Encourage your pastor. It is not a light, easy thing to be a minister of the gospel. This is why we pastors speak of the burden of office, the load of the churches upon our shoulders. Stand with him, no matter what the world says or does. And dear Brother Jeff, don't be surprised when you are overwhelmed by your own weakness and by the weakness of the churches. Because this is what it means to be a faithful minister in the church, militant. Now hearing this, you might want to say, well, 
with such weakness in myself and in the church and such hostility in the world. This is hopeless. No. All this is added up to make emphatic not just the charge and the call, be strong, but to point out the resources by which that is possible. Our second point, the provision in this call. This text summarizes all of 2 Timothy. If you want to know what 2 Timothy is about in one verse, it's the words of the text. And let me translate the Greek for you, paraphrasing it a bit to show you the nuances. After speaking of the positive example of Anisiphorus and the negative examples, this is how this verse should read. Now, you, my son, be empowered in the in Christ Jesus grace. Paul speaks openly about his own weakness and the dangers, and he openly is unashamed to let Timothy know how he felt. But, and, and what it was like to be in the mouth of the lion. But Paul is not hopeless. Paul is not gloomy. He is not sour. He is cheerful. He is optimistic. Because the call of the gospel is not be strong in yourself, suck it up, tough it out, show you can do it. This North American spirit of rah, rah, yes we can, the pep rally of look at our faith, is obnoxious. What we have here is gospel-gushing provision, a fountain that never runs dry. It is actually wonderful to take all of 2 Timothy and to take a piece of paper and a pen and write down every gift and provision that God gives in this book. And they outnumber and overpower the challenges and the heartaches. I won't do that for the whole book. I'll leave you to do that yourself in your office. But let's just notice the ones in this verse. First gift is empowering love. Paul comes to Timothy. He's just talked about people who turned away. And then the beautiful example of Anisiphorus, who went looking for Paul in Rome. The chain and the shame didn't slow him down. And he often refreshed Paul, not just in Rome, but Ephesus, but wherever he found him. He went looking for him. And God's people can be wonderfully encouraging and refreshing. And these bonds of love and affection greatly refresh and encourage a pastor. Love your pastor. And in so doing, show him the love that God has for him. And this text stresses this with these words Paul uses about Timothy. My son. The Greek has two words for sonship. One stresses the legal rights of the heir. And the second one stresses the affection. And it's this affectionate one that's used here. Timothy is his son in the gospel. This is how close gospel ties become a spiritual family. Reflecting the love of God himself who pours it out by his spirit, not just for him but for one another, that spreads to each other. When such love is known in congregational life, then the church family is the best place to be, sometimes much more refreshing than an earthly family. Jeff, I can say as your mentor what Paul said about Timothy. 
I have seen your tears. I've felt your weakness. I've watched you labor till midnight thinking the sermon was nothing. And I've seen you stand on the pulpit with a power that God alone could supply. That's what God provides. And the sincere faith that lived in your grandparents and in your parents now lives in you. And God has, by grace, blessed our churches with four overdoons in the ministry. And I think I speak for all the older generation of ministers here when we say to you, now, son Jeff, be strong. You might want to say, but I feel the bonds of love and encouragement, but how do I keep it up? Well, second, God provides grace, oceans of grace for ministers and congregations so that when you sometimes put your head in your hands and you hear the news of some sin coming to light in someone's life and the mess it makes and you say, now what? Now you, my son, be empowered in grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense for the unworthy and flawed and failed and messed up. Grace saves sinners from themselves. Grace saves gospel ministers from themselves. Whenever you're overwhelmed with a mess in your own heart and the unfinished holiness in your own life, remember the oceans of grace. God gives it joyfully. And even when we are at our most broken and humbled as ministers and lament our weaknesses before the face of the Lord, let us never do so as slaves, but as sons. God gives this grace joyfully. The word grace can also mean favor and gift. Not a paycheck. Not what you deserve, but a gift. How far does this grace go? It goes to the uttermost. Starting grace, sustaining grace, finishing grace. As long as the fight and race, it is greater than all our weakness and sin. It is greater than all the weakness in the church. It is greater than all the hostility of the world. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's why we can sing, rich is his grace to all who humbly seek him, boundless and endless as the heavens above. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Great is His faithfulness. No one stood by Paul. No one. Paul does not feel abandoned. He says in the same verse, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And then the very same Greek word there is used as is in our text The Lord empowered me. That's why Paul can say graciously, Lord, don't hold the sins of your people, the fears against them. And he adds, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. He will preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. This is what you may expect from your God. And third and best, this grace is described Christologically. Now you, my son, be empowered in the in Christ Jesus grace. Grace is not a commodity. It is a person. Grace is Jesus Christ himself. He doesn't give the transaction. He embraces you as he gives you himself. 
This is why Rutherford could say it this way, Samuel Rutherford, God gives all his children a fresh daily allowance of Jesus Christ. And Paul can't speak of anything without tying it to union with Christ. And we're at our best when we learn to think that way too. I've sometimes said exaggerating, Paul can't scratch his nose without connecting it to union with Christ. The man is incapable of thinking in any other way. And that's a blessed perspective. This means God never looks at you, son Jeff, brother Jeff, in any other way than connected to Jesus Christ. It is impossible for God to deal with you in any other way. He must, because of his own engrafting of you into Christ, give you what Christ deserves. And because he already gave Christ what you deserve on the cross, and Christ said it is finished. You have a joint bank account with Jesus Christ, Jeff. And there's so much in there that you can never overdraw on it. And that means every challenge in family life, in your own soul as you seek to walk before the Lord, together for you as husband and wife, in the congregation, it's not your problem. It's Christ's problem. He does the heavy lifting. He changes hearts and lives. He creates repentance and faith. All you have to do is be the messenger. You just have to drive the truck loaded with grace and truth and dump the load in every sermon. The provision was made by God. And you don't have to be anybody great to drive the truck. No wonder... Paul can say to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but He has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So in all of life, calibrate your soul Christologically. We all calibrate everything in daily life. You calibrate the brakes on your car when you do them. You put new tires on your car and they have to calibrate them to make sure they're balanced and you tune your piano, you calibrate it, and when your body's lacking, you calibrate it with vitamins and medications. And spiritually, we are to calibrate ourselves with Jesus Christ as the answer to every question, every weakness, every failure, and the secret of every joy and blessing is Jesus Christ who's not far above there out of reach, but who by His grace, power, and Spirit, our catechism says, is at no time absent from us. Now you then, son Jeff, be empowered in the in Christ Jesus grace. And all those who have labored in the ministry faithfully have found Him to be totally faithful and worth serving, worth risking everything for, worth, worth risking the things you can lose because the things you can never lose are secure in Jesus Christ. And so will you when you lean on Him. Samuel Rutherford went through all the same trials as Paul did. And listen now to these wonderful quotes from his letters that just overflow with love for Christ, the man who also knew what it was like to be in a prison cell. O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. There is enough in Christ's pantry to satisfy all his hungry children. So hold out to him every empty dish of all your hungry desires. In another place, Christ is so new 
so fresh in excellency every day, and to those that search more and more in Him, heaven furnishes more every day. I find it a sweet and rich thing, he says, to exchange my sorrows for Christ's joys and my affliction with that sweet peace I have with himself. Need and poverty only chases me to the storehouse of all riches. And one last quote, alas, only guiltiness makes me ashamed to apply to Christ and to think it pride for me to put out such a hand to take hold of such a Savior But he says it's neither shame nor pride for a drowning man to swim to the rock. So swim away, because that's where the Lord would have you. Amen. Let us pray. O church of our God, sing his praises, for with you and in you he dwells. O sing hallelujahs before him, whose glory all praises excels. Lord God, grant that these words might be so true of every step and stage of dear brother Jeff's ministry. Whenever he feels himself to be weak and insufficient and needy, that is thy gift because it points him to Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, be with him. Empower him. Give him grace and joy in the service of the Lord. And the same cheerful spirit that the Apostle Paul had amidst all the conflict of the battleground of earth. Give him that sweet well of joy on the inside of Christ fresh every day again, giving him something to say because of Jesus Christ. Bless him in his family life. Bless Mandy. She begins also to learn what it means to be a pastor's wife and to support and care for Brother Jeff, in his ministry, give her grace and wisdom and cheerfulness. Remember the children. Remember Nigel. May the impressions he receives, seeing his father kneel beneath the book of life in Christ, may that produce an undeletable effect in his own life. And bless each of them. Mateo, Nigel and Lisa, with grace upon grace upon grace. And whenever they are weary, and whenever they are fearful and don't know where to go next or say next, give them the cheering, empowering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give them joy in the service of the Lord, in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing together Psalter 357 about God's promise of reward for the sower.
It's now my gracious privilege and distinct honor to be involved in this next part of the service. And I invite you to turn with me to the form for the ordination of Minister of the Gospel, dear Jeff and congregation. And let's read it. Beloved, the consistory has now twice published the name of our brother, Jeffrey Daniel Overdoon, to learn if anyone had objections against his ordination to the ministry of the word and installation as minister in this church. Since no one has brought forward anything lawful against his doctrine or life, we will now, in the name of the Lord, proceed to his ordination and installation. This is what the Word of God teaches concerning the office of ministers of the Word and sacraments. The exalted Christ gathers and preserves his church through his Word and Spirit, and by the preaching of the gospel, by mere men, saves his people. The Apostle Paul declares this when he says that the Lord Jesus Christ has given some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul solemnly charged Timothy to preach the word, and our Lord Jesus charged his disciples to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In the early church, this task was fulfilled by the Apostles. Now, in distinction from ruling elders, those who labor in preaching are called ministers of the word. They are entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. The task of the minister of the word can be described as follows. First, he must faithfully declare the whole counsel of God, preaching repentance to and reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ and nurturing believers in the faith and life of the kingdom of God. He is to instruct, admonish, comfort, according to everyone's need. The Apostle Paul commands, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick or the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The apostle further exhorts, he is to hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, rightly dividing the word of truth. After the examples of the apostles, he is to perform his duty in public and from house to house. He must hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, rebuking them sharply. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20, the apostle declares, And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, or namely, that God was in Christ, Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Second, he is called to administer the sacraments because Christ has joined this administration to the preaching of the gospel. It is therefore the duty of the minister of the word to administer holy baptism according to the command of Christ. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He also is to administer the Holy Supper as instituted by Christ when he said, This do in remembrance of me. Third, the minister of the word is called to prayer. The apostle says we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So too it is his duty as pastor and teacher of the congregation to call upon the name of the Lord in public worship with supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Finally, it is the duty of the minister of the word with the elders as stewards of the church of God to exercise the key of Christian discipline according to Christ's word that whoever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Therefore, pastors are called watchmen who oversee the household of God to ensure decency and order. From all this we see what glorious work the ministers of the word may perform and how highly necessary it is for man's salvation. Therefore, we see the Lord's good pleasure in preserving this office when he promises, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Pastors are charged to commit these truths to other faithful men to carry on this ministry. And having heard this brief explanation, dear brother, dear son, Jeff, I ask you to rise at this point. Dear brother, son, Jeffrey Daniel Overdoon, as you enter your office, as minister of the word and sacraments in this congregation, you are to answer these questions before God and his holy church. First, do you believe in your heart that God himself, through his congregation, has called you to this ministry? Second, do you believe the Old and the New Testaments are the only and infallible word of God and the complete doctrine of salvation? And do you reject all doctrines conflicting with it? Third, do you promise faithfully to discharge the duties of your office and to adorn the doctrine of God with a godly life? Do you also promise to submit to the discipline of the church in case you should become delinquent in doctrine or life? What is your answer? Dear Jeffrey Overdoon, God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to this holy office, enlighten you with his Holy Spirit, strengthen you with his hand, and so govern you in your ministry that you may be engaged in it faithfully and fruitfully to the glory of his name and the coming of the kingdom of his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Jeff has signed the formula of subscription in the consistory room and what is that? Well, he signed his hearty adherence to and submission to the three forms of unity as a full expression or a true expression of the basic gospel truths 
of the Bible, which we hold to as churches and in Article 52 and 53 of our church order, ministers and all office bearers are called to sign that formula of subscription in serving our churches in leadership. We will now have the laying on of hands and I ask the two elders to come forward and also the seven uh, FRC ministers present for also the laying on, for also giving a text. Brother Jeff will kneel as an expression of his submission to God and the two elders will hold the Bible over his head as a symbol of him being a minister of the word of God and then the ministers, the FRC ministers here will give a text as he begins his ministry. And after that, let's sing standing Psalter 354, 2 and 6. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. 2 Timothy 4.22 Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Psalm 124, verse 8 But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 19 Jeffrey Daniel Overdoon be strong and of good courage. And the Lord, he it is that goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you, neither forsake you. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. Deuteronomy 31.8 and 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe, these things command and teach. 1 Timothy 4, 10 and 11. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from you whom you have learned them. 2 Timothy three fourteen. Four.
want to read yet a charge to the minister and to the congregation. Beloved brother and fellow servant in Christ, Jeffrey Overdoon, take heed to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you pastor and teacher to feed the church of the Lord, which he purchased with his own blood. Love Christ and feed his sheep. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Keep watch over yourself. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. And your hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Do not neglect the gift you have with which the Lord has endowed you for this ministry. Devote yourself to your duties with all your strength and with perseverance. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will obtain the unfading crown of glory. And you, beloved Christians, Bethel, FRC, receive your minister in the Lord with all gladness and hold him in esteem. Receive the word which he, according to the scriptures, shall preach to you, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Let the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things be beautiful and pleasant to you. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. If you receive this servant from the Lord this way, the peace of God will enter your homes and come upon you, and you will, through faith in Jesus Christ, inherit eternal life. Since we are of ourselves not capable of all this, we will call upon the Almighty God. Let us pray. Merciful Father, it pleases you to gather by Christ to yourself out of the whole human race, a church chosen to life eternal. We thank thee that you gather this church by the ministry of men and that you give this minister of the word to this congregation. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you will equip him for the ministry to which you have called him. Enlighten his mind that he may understand the scriptures and open his mouth that he may proclaim the mysteries of the gospel with boldness. Grant him wisdom and faithfulness to guide the flock in the right path and to keep them in Christian peace that by his ministry and under his good leadership your church may be preserved and increase. Encourage and comfort him by your spirit so that he may remain steadfast in troubles and temptations during his ministry. And finally, with all your faithful servants, may enter the joy of his Lord. Grant that this congregation will acknowledge this servant as sent by thee. 
give that they may receive the instruction and admonition of Christ which this shepherd shall bring to them and that they may joyfully submit to his direction grant that through his ministry all may believe in Christ and thus inherit eternal life hear us O Father for the sake of thy beloved Son in whose name we conclude this prayer saying our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's now sing Psalter 262 and as we do... Your new pastor will come for his first message, his inaugural message. <laughs>